0: Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News. We've
1: come to the end of the zero interest rate era. Rates are going up pretty fast and the effect of that on the value of various different asset classes has been pretty profound. At times of high inflation like this, managing your money sensibly is very important and that's where our next guest aims to help. Ronan Reid is Chief Executive of Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland and joins us now for the latest in our summer series of interviews with Ireland's top business leaders. Ronan, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Let's start at the start. Why did you decide to go into stockbroking?
2: I, I, I initially went in by accident. I actually got a job. in. I decided to work in Investment Bank of Ireland and um, I didn't decide. Uh, at Those days in the 80s you applied, loads of you applied for jobs and then one of them was willing to hire me which was exceptional. And I turned up thinking I was working in the marketing department. And on the first day I arrived, I said, I'm here to work in the marketing department. They said, no, you're working in the treasury. So when I went to the treasury and that was my first job and it was a great learning curve and I loved it. The immediacy of markets, world events was great. You ended up going to work
1: then for Dermot Desmond. So tell us a bit about that experience. This is NCB Stockbrokers. What was that like and, and what in particular was he like to work for?
2: He he was great. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of interactions with Dermot. He he backed me to set up my company when I arrived in in NCB. He was slightly less involved, but still involved nonetheless. Portico O'Connor was running it. I had quite a lot of interactions when he backed my company to set up my company originally Dalman, and uh, he was great. I mean, he he's it's like working. I I, I currently work for for a man called Howard Ludnick, and whether it's Howard at or Countless Dermot Gerald. at Counter Fitzgerald. yeah, Candice Gerald Group. People often often see the persona, and they forget how smart the people are. Till you're sitting in front of them, there's a reason they're very good at what they do. And I think I'm fortunate in different areas of my business. I meet people who who excel in what they do, very smart, um, very quick witted. would Would fo- would focus on things in transactions that you just wouldn't see all the time. And I think, yeah, he was he was great, and he was very encouraging when I set up my own business, and very supportive.
1: Yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Why, why did you decide to go out on your own? and the conversation with him about backing you. What was your pitch to him? Why should he be giving you
2: money well, to to go, and, to go and leave and do something else? Well, I think there's 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 two things on it. I, I think my father gave the best version of why I went out on my own. He said I couldn't work for anybody else. Yeah. I had tried several He's times. Full of praise, your dad. <laughs> he was. He was. I always think your parents have the last word. Um, uh, they always did. Um, I, I remember my mother saying to me that I was adopted. So my father told me no one would be that stupid. <laughs> so so you never lose it. But so he always got the last word. No, but, but I,
0: it can't. It can't have been easy setting up your own stockbroking business. You didn't have the backing of a giant bank behind you.
2: No, it it, it was certainly challenging, but it, it was that sense I, I remember being an entrepreneur being entrepreneurial had always I suppose been in my DNA or blood I wanted to start a business I think a lot of it goes back to a guy John Teeling who lectured me in college mm-hmm. and built the enthusiasm for me for setting up business Anybody Professor went,
0: Teeling we've all read uh, his books yeah but, but if
2: you if you and if you meet him today he's still enthusiastic mm-hmm. like you know and I remember he asked me at a client presentation why'd you do it and I said well because you told me to do it and I just waited a while before I got going so yeah it, w- it was certainly a nervous time you wonder can you succeed I think you you had the choice in financial services, you go to London or abroad or and I wanted the ore and the ore was set up your own business and drive. And I'd worked in N C B with with people who were fairly figurative like Dermot. Eamon Rothwell Nigel my term people who are very entrepreneurial and, mm. and so you would see that quite a lot I loved being engaged in startup businesses so all of that fed into it I had a couple of people who backed me and in particular Dermot was very supportive yeah. and backed me which I was appreciative of what,
1: what was your pitch to them? How did you convince them to hand <laughs> Sorry, out the money? Sorry that was
2: the other point so I arrived in with Dermot to make the pitch and and um, in those days you had briefcases you, you tried to look the part beforehand <laughs> and I arrived in and mine was locked and I couldn't get the pitch document out Really good, oh, which good. was which really good preparation so I chatted him through and he was more focused on why I was doing it and, and once I went through it he said yeah but he said that's great we'll set it up I'll back you I'll own it you run it it'll work well and I said no no I, I want to own part of it and he went yeah no I think then I'm probably not a good minority shareholder so we'll probably leave it and then I was about to leave and I said but you are because I valued a business for you last week, and he said, "Oh yeah, that's right, I'm in," and that was it. Gosh. That was the entire the entirety These of the kind discussion. Of massive
0: decisions are taken so quickly. Yeah,
2: he he just. I I think I I think it was going to be just a process of negotiation, one way or the other. But he was like, you know, when you get that affirmation, then you go, okay, I'm 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 not crazy. It does occur to you a couple of times, and then you also have to persuade everyone like you. I, I remember showing my business plan. My dad was very uh, very support. He was very supportive, and he had a great business mind. But he did say when he read my business plan, I think his comment was, "Ah, bless, nothing goes up in a straight line, son."
0: <laughs> Why did you decide to sell to Cantor
2: Fitzgerald um, in, in the 2000s? I, 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 I think probably two reasons. Firstly. We had nearly sold the business in two thousand and eight uh, to Irish Life and Permanent, and they ran into difficulties as, as, some of the senior executives remember. Then it was at the eleventh hour. I mean, nothing to do with us. They hit issues internally and 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 couldn't proceed with the deal and and told us that. And we had been through a whole process then. Then then you're suddenly faced with a collapse, a, a collapse in a weakening market. I think my colleagues and I got together and said like the one thing we wanted to make sure was we had no redundancy programs or others. So mm. we all took things like salary cuts and otherwise and restructured our business fairly clearly to go forward. So when I got to 2011, 2012, I, I, I could see that likelihood is we would have less competitors. We need to acquire competitors. The history of our company has been acquisitive. I've acquired a lot of companies over the years. So when I got to that point, I realized I need more, we needed more capital to do it. We were going into a very different regulatory world. So I met the Cantor guys in New York, I knew them beforehand and said, look, I'd, I'd I'd like some investment, I could see the opportunity to buy one or two competitors. They pretty quickly said, look, we acquire 100%, we don't really own less, and, and I thought about it long and hard, and I I remember the deal started, stalled, and then their suggestion was to come to New York and just work with them for a day or two, mm. and I really enjoyed it. So I think one of the things is what gets you up and into work in the morning, and they certainly did, and they've, they've been a great partner for the business. And of course,
0: they were in the World Trade Center uh, 21 years ago at Canterbury's Gerald
2: yeah Sunday was the anniversary I was I was uh, speaking to Howard Ludnick about it. I mean, I, 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 some days, I mean, you, you read a headline and, and it, it, for everybody it sensationalizes a bit, but I often thought if we have 200 people, it would be like me driving to work and getting a message that I'd lost 150 of my staff. Mm. He lost 655 of 750 staff. Uh, Wall Street helped him hugely. They helped him put the business back together. He sent a group of people to London to continue running the business that became a sister company. BGC ultimately mm-hmm. and out of that he rebuilt the business i think in all our companies we employ about 70,000 people now so he rebuilt the business from scratch he's he's an incredible resilient human being and and very like you know inspirational i i don't think i've ever quite met anybody like him like you know in in, in our industry uh, there is nothing that really holds him back particularly does he have a long or short leash on you <laughs> i think he has uh I, 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 think he certainly has a longer leash. I mean, they, they, they leave us to run the business. They leave us our board, and to run the business, I work closely with another colleague, Mark Kaplan. And, and really, it's, it's core strategic decisions when we want to expand the business. That's where he'd get involved. The strategy of our business would very heavily be based with, with, with Howard. But he's yeah, very proactive. I mean, on some occasions when we have very significant business pitches, he'll jump on the call with us, and yeah. he is spectacular at it. So it wasn't that much of an adjustment then for you
1: to go from sort of run your own business to going back in-house, if I can put it like yeah,
2: that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great comment. I thought it was going to be a big adjustment having a boss, but actually it wasn't um, because I always say this, you always report somewhere, like, you know, whether it's, it's a board, whether it's a regulator, you always report somewhere. But they were very much, uh, part of what I liked about the ethos was everything is about focus on the future and don't dwell on the past. Like things don't work, move on come up with a new idea, go again. And, and that type of resilience has always kept Howard going. And through tough times, I mean, he came through cancer himself this year and we lost our managing director, Anshu Jant, to cancer. So, and even in that, talking to him on, Saturday, on Sunday, he has great comments like, you know, we're here to live. Um,
0: it's not easy or cheap to buy and sell shares in Ireland. The likes of Revolut and Robin Hood are making things a lot more affordable to retail stock pickers for the want of better phrase it's still expensive to buy Irish shares
2: it is it and it is expensive and it it, it remains I think a lot of things in financial services remain expensive it's not why is it to,
0: more expensive to buy an but, Irish
2: share than an American share a, a good example Revolut have relocated part of their business their centre their business on financial services to Estonia because it's it, it's it's less expensive to do business some of it are simple stuff like if I look at my business now compared to oh, 20 years ago the regulatory and compliance costs now represent probably two and a half times what my rent is. Like it is, it is regulatory levies. So it small is hard companies can't do it. Yeah, it's really hard for small companies. And that was, that was the decision in 2012 was, I could kind of see this coming and I went, you either get smaller or bigger, you get eaten or you eat and like, you know, you need to absorb the business. So we bought we bought three or four both businesses and client bases and expanded it to, to really where there are, for me probably four very strong wealth managers. There's Davies ourselves, Goodbodies and Tillman and or Brew and Dolphin now owned by Royal Bank of Canada. So when I look at it, three of my competitors are now bank owned again and again, there's a reason behind that. How do you compete with those guys? Why should somebody come to you rather than Davy or Goodbody or, or Bruin Dolphin? I think it's service. I mean, I think that the passion. Like, if I if I look at my sales and broken staff, and 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 explain to this an American colleague in Dublin, and I think he expected my staff to be older because some of them have worked with me for thirty years. So, um, and he he said, relatively young compared to the, to the time, and I suppose some of them have only worked with us. So I think the first thing is is always client service and trust. I mean, I the first thing we say to anybody who works with us, like you know, people say, "What do you sell?" and I go, "Trust." That's it, mm. fundamentally. So I think the they, the the first thing is to give client peace of mind or aspects to it. I think it the market itself has remained so for the small investor. It is expensive to transact, but then again. I think that's a regulatory premise that they'd prefer the money to be managed.
1: And is that something that you're concerned about? You know, we've been talking about Robin Hood and these things and, you know, there probably is more of the likes of them coming down the road. So is that, do you
2: see that as a threat
1: to you or are you sort of playing in a bit of a different space
2: i i i do i I don't see it as an there's always two things first I don't see it as an imminent threat to our to 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 our business and our business model today, but you take the lessons that come out of it. you never know. I always go the law of unintended consequences somebody comes into it so back in all the way back in two thousand, we set up and built at our own expenditure and fund the first online dealing broker We had it operational ready to go. And we closed it before we opened it because the running costs would exceed the revenues. It was the hardest decision, I think, business decision because I wrote off a lot of an awful lot of investment. And I think at that time, when I look at it now in terms of some of the areas, the regulatory area, will continue to probably drive cost and and, and and pull cost up. But
0: it's not the problem. the central bank are making it difficult, that's why Revolut, for example, are using a Lithuanian uh, mm. banking license. They're basing themselves in Estonia because the bar is set so high here. The gold plating of rules that are set in Frankfurt, but they are being gold plated here in Dublin.
2: Yeah, I think I I I I think in in part I would say. Uh, There isn't a huge amount of discretion in the application of the rules. So the rules come out of ESMA and others, and they're in Europe. And they are—they're trying to prescribe human behavior. And I don't think that works. They're trying to look at the history of the past and say, "How do you prescribe it?" And 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 like you know, you end up with unnecessary levels and other aspects of rules. And it focused very much in the banking area, and then tripped into the financial services area. So when you look at the first lot of regulations we were subject to in twenty ten to fifteen, they were all banking regulations, mm. like you know that came across to us in terms of the area. I think part of it as well is the is like you know we're one of the only industries where the old caveat emptor, buyer beware, doesn't apply. Like so, we mm. can't disclaim our way out of anything. Like mm. you know, you're still guilty. Well, it's not really guilty, I don't, I don't mind that. It's the presumption that the client can't make his own decision that I really take I take issue with an occasion right. it works against the mainstay of our business advisory I go to the client and say would you like to do it Whereas execution only, they make their own decision. I can give them advice and ask them to decide, mm-hmm. but really the industry is driving to discretion and execution only. You can see that in a number of my competitors, where it is just simpler to make the decision. And I think that's some of the bias, whether it's political or, or regulatory bias to, the like you know the customer shouldn't always make his own decision. I don't agree with that, I've never agreed with it. I think clients are really well informed. Um, if people are successful at the time. I do think there is a good case for smaller amounts of investment to, to to effectively look to somebody to buy a fund to spread risk in terms of because the amount of money determines it. And I do think the advent of some of the revolutes or other, while it taught people share dealing in, in some of younger people's heads, it, it, it got confused as to what the purpose was. The purpose is, is to invest excess monies that you have, not necessarily to speculate. So there's always a balance between the two. But what I find it a trend or a worry to our business, always when you think about it in part, but i but 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 i i think against our business model now currently
0: is it easy
2: to do business in ireland not
0: just in stock picking business but is it easy to set up a company run it pay your taxes
2: and make a bit of money um i it's a complicated question is it easy to do business i think it's expensive like i think ireland has become expensive i think professional services are expensive i think that the, the the drive of inflation driven out of the property aspects to it like. Is is makes it expensive on on salary cost inflation. I think in financial services regulation because we don't have the scale. Like the biggest thing is that the rules that are applied in Europe are to much bigger markets than ours, mm. significantly larger markets. Applying them to a smaller market, I think that the, the the things that made us succeed, the entrepreneurialism, remains there. Like you know, the 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 intellectual drive to solve problems that creates entrepreneurs like you know to to try and be the smartest person in the room which is an Irish trait like you know we we believe we're really smart sometimes and we're not always the smartest uh, as as I remember some of my American colleagues reminded me but all that still exists within that which makes it a good place to do business but it is expensive so it, is it hard to do business i think we i think it's really hard for smaller businesses to get going and break that two or three million turnover that allows them to get to the next mm. day. I think technology has en- enabled that. The biggest restriction they would say they would have Is and this is really a Brexit Brexit impact, is we have quite a small market here. Mm. So if you cut your teeth in the market here, it's quite hard to step the leap. The leap used to be to the UK, the same market, the same law, the same legal systems, but it's more challenging to do business there. So then you head to other markets, which have, whether it is is legal employment or other challenges. Language. Language, language, absolutely as well. So I think that it is, I think it's still a challenging place for small businesses to start up and get going. And I think it's expensive and that's what needs to get resolved. How did COVID go for you business-wise? Um, I, generally, our business did quite well because the things you, you touched on at the start of the interview, interest rates went very low. So assets inflated, assets went up in value. So our customers, our clients saw their investments go up. So that was good. Um, I really, like unusual, people thought people at home and more challenges. No, people at home have more time to focus on their finance. So we saw an increase in our inquiries, our inbound inquiries. So business was good. I mean, business was good for us during COVID. I think we adapted quickly. The 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 plus side to regulation, because we've given them a hard time, was the redundancy built into our business. So there are few enough businesses that could decide on Tuesday that on a Thursday they'll send everybody home. It was us and technology companies who were able to do it straight away. We literally had a decision on a Tuesday and we implemented it by Thursday because our systems worked and allowed us to do it. So that side of the behavioral side was good. I think the adjustment back in is 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 always going to be challenging? Bringing that, it was good to see people get some work life balances, and and you could see how some people excelled, some people found it challenging. Uh, so it was good overall for our business. Um, I personally, I found it, I found it difficult in terms of. I think I spent my entire life trying to separate work home life balance. Like yeah. you know, when I finish work, I go home. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I was working at home. The other factor is both my sons sent me back to work after about three days. They told me I was disruptive, and I <laughs> needed to go back into work. Your
0: sons sound like your dad. They are, I think I've,
2: yeah. I think I've had this general label of
0: adult supervision still required. The COVID crisis was two and a half years ago and it stretched for whatever, a year mm. and a half. We're about to enter another. We're in an energy shock at the moment. Mm. You've seen a few recessions, dare I say. Mm. Where does this one, this looming one rank?
2: Uh, I'm... I'm I'm not sure yet. I I, I think I looked firstly to what has created this. We're in an energy shock, but we're also in a period of intense behavioral change. The consumer has changed their behavior. They are certainly where they were so price sensitive. Talking to friends of mine who were retailers, everything had to be to price competition and discount nearly instantaneously. Their sales had to hit early in the summer. They're not seeing that as much anymore. So they're seeing effectively a consumer that was locked down. I mean, we chatted before the Good Friday effect. Why do we always buy beer on a Friday? We'll lock people up for two years, tell them to live for the moment, teach them about mindfulness, separation of, then when they come out the far end, they will. And, and now they've saved for a couple of years. And so spending then in behavioral change moves up. So we see the the core some of the core inflation Side to it on top of that we 've seen some of the rental and property side the, the the rental side go up all of that has driven wage cost inflation, so I think that 's here, and I think it 's here if, to stay oh yeah, i think it 's here to stay for a period of time um, I think the energy shock is I, I I think we will have an adjustment to higher energy and it will be permanent, and I think that 's something. Businesses get quite efficient of, of figuring out how to deal with that logistically or otherwise. I think after you, uh, ours are driven by geopolitical and other events, I think when that finishes, there will be the whole climate change move to say, well, look, let's make that fossil fuel more expensive indefinitely. I think that will... So let's not waste the crisis. Yeah, I think I think that'll be an aspect to it. I, I would hope that the sensible things get get done, which is like infrastructure bills to improve transportation, easy thing to say. But I often think when you look at a housing crisis, if you had a high speed rail link and you took the time and money over five years to really build it to one or two parts of the country where land is more available, mm. you begin to solve some of the issues there. The third one is we, had, we have a people challenge. We have a lot of people who are ill for a long time. COVID is still going, people are still out of work on covid exists so logistical barriers are driving cost inflation as well i like, can you know you hear the story of ports of ships stuck in port logistical airports not being able to staff. I think we still have a phase, a post-COVID phase to go on. I mean, if you look all the way back to the Spanish flu, it wasn't when it hit, it was the next year afterwards that you had a lot of people very ill, pneumonia, other things coming through. And I think as you see that and people, you have a logistical challenge. I think the wage inflation will eventually curtail somewhat. I think the spending will normalise. I mean, I think what this is, is is an excess for a period of time but then behaviour, when people read headlines, they do adjust their behaviour when interest rates are higher. Yeah. I think the worry is sometimes that people believe historically that interest rates often need to exceed core inflation to contain it.
1: Well, if that's the case, you might have a bit of a way to go. Um, in terms of your clients and navigating this then uh, and,
2: and the various different asset classes, I mean, what are your thoughts on where things are going? It's st- still, still challenging. I mean, I think one of the... One of the things is everything went up together and everything is now going down together. I mean, normally we've different asset yeah. classes that perform. Like, you know, you've got core asset classes, uh, like, you know, you've got equities, bonds, kind of credit, which is an extension of bonds, and you have real estate and you have commodities, you have other things. So so at the moment they're all underperforming. All the assets are, are falling. So that creates the first challenge. Um, And you had, uh, uh, until a couple of months ago, negative interest rates. So even if you put your cash in, put it in cash.
1: So is is this a reflection of basically a bubble that was inflated by low interest rates?
2: Yeah, and it it normally translates itself ultimately. And it's uh, like, you know, there's always a line that comes to the end. Is well, you would say that because you're a Mm stockbroker. But normally, uh, when when, there is no normal. When you get to the end of the cycle, I started seeing it in some of the US companies where earnings upgrades are there because their prices are higher. The other consequence of inflation is your pricing, what you sell for, is higher. Your input costs are lower. So if you're a well-run company, you will do well. If you're not, you will really struggle. I think the other thing in a lot of corporates are they, where they restructured their debt. They're, they're either smaller companies that don't have as much debt as they used to have, they paid down a lot during crisis, or they're very large, like the tech companies, raised 20- and 30-year money at very low interest rates. So we don't have quite a debt bubble, so the interest rate isn't hurt, is, isn't hurting them as much uh, as it would be. So I think when I look at equities, I think we're going to have a period of sign to news, You. You get this over your career when you when you were asking me, like, you know, I remember a Thursday afternoon in oh, 1988, would have, the numbers would have been, or actually pre the crash, would have been all about the trade numbers because people worried about the dollar and then it became balance the deficit. Payments, yeah. Yes, mm. balance payments on a Thursday and then it became the budget deficit. Then it became CPI. So do people focus on different things? And I think at the moment, clearly we're very focused on CPI and where rates have to go. I think there is an element of governments abdicating control as well. I mean, decisions mm. are made by Central banks. But th- Don't they everywhere. want that?
0: Don't they want to be able to say, listen, don't talk to me, talk to the guys in Frankfurt or they,
2: Paris? They do, but I think that's wrong. Like, you know, I think they're the elected officials. And and I think a strategy of where, where it leads. I mean, we've come through the lowest period of historic inf- in interest rates. We have disruption effect in Europe, why haven't European governments raised more long-term money if people were willing to put it up, 50-year mm. bonds, mm. you'd be able to inflate out of it. There are fiscal decisions that governments need to get back Austria into taking.
0: Austria has put out a 100-year bond.
2: Yeah, they put it, out a 100-year, There yeah. probably
0: is still an opportunity
2: to do a bit of that. Yeah, there will be, and I think... I, I think it needs to be very project specific and clear like you know solve some of the infrastructure problems that 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 you have i mean i don't think for example i mean i think uh, clearly housing is very topical i don't think just putting money at housing solves the problem no. you're like you know i i i remember a european shop saying to me like you know in his country from the day he buys the site to when he goes on is about 14 months it's four and a half years here no it's it's crazy. it's shocking yeah.
1: As you look back across your career, Ronan, and you and you guys have a corporate finance business in, in Cantor as well, are there any deals uh, that you've been involved in that stand out? Either ones that were a great success, or or ones maybe that
2: got I, away uh, from you that you wish hadn't. I, I I think firstly there's like you know there's my own personal deal and then the consequences of it. So it's quite interesting. So we had we nearly sold the business to Irish Life permanent as it was at the time. Then then they had to pull out. Then you hit a banking crisis and then I'm acting for somebody else and I'm in with the CEO of Irish Life and Permanent saying will you sell your business for the same price that he was going to buy my business prior within <laughs> about a year and a half I don't think I'll ever forget that conversation Painful. uh yeah I I remember saying to him like you know and and the fall of value was 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 significant that period of time and when when you looked at it and how things survived I think that will be the standout for me would have been the irony of a year a year later. I'm standing valuing somebody at like you know probably one thirtieth of what his business had been worth. Gosh. Like you know, of course, uh,
0: it was overvalued. in You know, the yeah. year earlier, but yeah, it was still, it's a shocking and,
2: loss and, of value. And the logic at the time was, I, it would have been a very different landscape. Was in part to put Bank of Ireland and Irish Life together, the insurance company, which would have mm. been an interesting marriage.
1: As we look forward then I mean we've been talking about regulation probably the, the only way that's going is, is towards more regulation right because there's sort of a political thing around this that if you are getting rid of regulations that's kind of a bad thing to be doing and, and people's memories are, mm-hmm. are are still very acute of, of what happened in 08 in and you know uh, uh, people um, you know it is important to, to, to protect yeah. people as well so what are you expecting on that front?
2: And, 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 and probably two to answer that. the first thing is the some and it's not all regulation is bad i think the regulation geared towards much larger mar, lar, larger markets than ours that drive cost up of consumer isn't great i think some of the regulation that drove accountability controls in businesses stuff that i saw is really good some of the consumer orientated stuff to focus into like you know getting the information on the customer all that stuff i see is really good the behavioral aspects of of setting a standard because our industry was always a function of the weakest link. So when you begin to have better regulation on behavior and conduct, which I think are really important, yeah. that's good. So what do I think uh, drives it going, go, going forward? I think it will continue to be driven by probably three things. Firstly thing is conduct, how you interact with the customers, how they interact with you, how you collect information on them, how you deal with it. So the data and conduct sides will be remain really, really strong. Very focused on the resilience of businesses. That if you are hit by an external shock, can you survive and keep running? I think Europe is still caught up with the failure of the banks and their failure in that regard themselves. Mm-hmm. So everything is based around if you hit a problem, how do you get through it? How do you survive it? And then the last aspects that you can really clearly see is the what I would what I would define as the the, the criminal end market abuse, uh, financial crime. Uh, anti-money laundering and you can see the greater much tighter alignment with enforcement with the Gardaí with others because for the first time probably in the last I, I, I think the banking crisis brought that because people went to jail and, and I think subsequent to that, we're now seeing more public like people being arrested, people having to address for it. I think accountability as it sits within that. Not that many really went to
0: jail, though, Ronan. Yeah,
2: not that many by, by any standards. And, and and some of my American colleagues sometimes struggle with this. I mean, they're very used to a perp walk and quickly. I think the thing they have to do is get it done more quickly. Like it seems to take quite a long time for things to come and be addressed. And I think that that will become a lot quicker and uh, a and lot faster. And we'll see it a lot more.
0: Final, final question: Of um, where do you think Ireland will be in ten or twenty years? You've seen it when Ireland was a very poor country in the eighties. Mm. Where do you think we'll be in twenty years? Will we still be dependent on multinationals? Will we still be a you know an expensive place to do business, but everyone has a job?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think firstly you will continue to see the multinational involvement. I think they like us, they engage us, we're entrepreneurial. When they visit, I had US colleagues over. They're always impressed with the standard, the longevity of people, the rationale. So I think that sits well. I see my sons, they're 24 and 27 coming through college, both scientists. So you can see, like, you know, the med tech industry is going to be here. I would imagine the tech industry will be here. I think, uh, so from that perspective, I'd see that. Do I think we'll still be a wealthy country? I think so, yeah. I mean, your your hope is that we'll have addressed the basic infrastructure issues of, of health and housing very much so. I think that the other aspect probably coming through lockdown that we didn't appreciate before, I think taxation rates will remain high I, I, because I think a, a new and, a, and an appropriate respect comes for the frontline areas of our, of our country, like, you know, nurses, doctors, guards. I think they stepped up in terms of what was perceived of the role. So I think it'll still be a good place. I just hope we don't lose our 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 fun our our ability to look at ourselves uh, and to look at ourselves realistically have a little bit of a laugh at ourselves so I hope we don't become too serious in the process itself but I think the country was in a good place Ronan thank you very much
0: Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.